I saw this set up this morning and I thought I want to try that. So I'm going to do that this morning. I think I'm in good company. Check out Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 and you'll see that uh, somebody else sat down to teach. So good morning and thank you for being here. You know wisdom is wonderful but it's hard to come by and it comes with no guarantees. It can be quickly passing and its benefits are easily dissolved. I know this because once there was a wise man who was wiser than all other men and women. But his wisdom became folly. He mishandled what he had and he let it become corrupt. Wisdom left him and foolishness moved in and took over and a lot of it. In short, there was a man who fell prey to what many others have experienced. And that is growing old and going crazy. It's possible you remember this sermon title. It's catchy and memorable. And I've used the title before. But I want you to know this sermon is not a repeat. I put the text of scripture before me, especially 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11. And I thought carefully about what happened to this one man so we can avoid his mistakes, his foolishness and his sins. So let's get Solomon before us and let's see what happened to him. So we think first about Solomon, who was a great king. David chose Solomon to be Israel's next king. Others wanted to be king, Adonijah, for example. But with David's backing, Solomon prevailed. He grew up in David's shadow and he became David's successor. And he was a great king. Solomon's kingship was established, and he got off to a good start. He built the palace. He built the wall around Jerusalem. In fact, he was quite a builder. He constructed several buildings and cities and even built a fleet of ships. Another feature that made Solomon a great king was his famous request for wisdom. We thought about this in room 7 this morning in the Bible class period. He prayed to have an understanding mind to discern between good and evil. And this request resulted in Solomon's great blessing from God of both wisdom and wealth, not just wisdom, but also wealth. And then Solomon's kingship was advanced when he built the amazing temple in Jerusalem. David had made significant preparations for the temple, but Solomon oversaw the building. And you know, he understood some things about that building. Chapter 8, verse 27 of 1 Kings shows that he knew that it did not and could not really contain God. It was a building where God would dwell, but God was really not there. Even the highest heaven cannot do this, much less a house, even a temple. So Solomon was king, and people and nations everywhere were impressed. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, the verse that begins that book, says God made Solomon exceedingly great. And Israel recognized it. Look at chapter 3, verse 28 of 1 Kings. All Israel stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And other people recognized it. Chapter 4, verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like sand of the seashore. People and dignitaries came from all over and they oohed and awed at Solomon's wisdom. And he demonstrated it in a famous episode which involved two mothers who were claiming 
to have their, the child as theirs. And he demonstrated his wisdom in resolving that. And he demonstrated his wisdom and his skill to organize and expand his kingdom. So Solomon was a great king, exceedingly great. But among all these great achievements, there are a couple of notations that spell danger and establish the conditional nature of Solomon's kingship, the conditional nature of his kingship. So let's look at a couple of these notations. The first is found in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Kings. And it is about marrying foreign women. In a political alliance, Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to Jerusalem. Eventually made her a house for herself. God had given instructions and warnings about this practice of marrying foreign women, though he allowed it. And Solomon did it. The other notation is in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It's about the high places. People of Israel sacrificed at the high places, and so did Solomon. And again, this was something Solomon, this was something God allowed and accepted, given the circumstances that there was no temple. But he strongly warned, he strongly warned of the dangers and instructed that these places be destroyed. So these notations bring to light the conditional nature of Solomon's reign. God gave Solomon wisdom beyond measure, and God appeared to and spoke directly to Solomon more than once. And in speaking to him, God pointed out the conditional nature of his kingship. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. God said, concerning this house that you're building, if, there's the condition, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. And then after the temple dedication, it was a grand occasion. God again spoke. Chapter 9, verses 3 through 8. He said, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. As for you, if, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them and the house that I've consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all people, and this house will become a heap of ruins." As is always the case, the nation would suffer if its king did not lead them in God's way. So we see that with definite conditions, Solomon was a great king over his people. Well, then we look at something else. Solomon was a great king, but let's consider the fact that Solomon was also an old king. Solomon's kingship and his kingdom rolled on. He built, he increased, he expanded, he organized. All this happened, but something else also was happening in Solomon's life, something that occurs in every person's life, and that is Solomon grew old. Even the greatest king in all the world could not avoid this development. It was inevitable and inescapable. Neither wisdom nor wealth 
can stem the age, aging process. It happened to David. Notice the statement that's made as 1 Kings began. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1 says, King David was old and advanced in years. And it happened to Solomon. He excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. But as with any king who lives, the same thing occurred. Solomon grew old. To use the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes, the evil days came. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. In fact, the text of Scripture documents these days for Solomon with this notation. It's found in chapter 11, verse 4, that when Solomon was old. So we have a great king who grows old. And that brings us to a third consideration about Solomon. He was a crazy king. He was a king of a sprawling empire, an influential world leader, the commander of a mighty army, a successful manager of enormous wealth. Now, get that. King of a sprawling empire, influential world leader, commander of a sprawling army, and a successful manager of enormous wealth. But Solomon grew old, and with passing of the years, some things went awry. Despite his incredible and incomparable wisdom and all his obvious strengths, Solomon had a weakness. It was a weakness for women. And with this came several crazy things. For one, Solomon dabbled in what was dangerous. He dabbled in what was dangerous, especially at the high places. He wrote a crest of power and influence previously unknown. But sadly, the plot took a tragic turn. Solomon and Israel rose to great heights only to fall into idolatry, division, decay, and finally exile. When the temple did not exist, God accepted worship in the high places, but he heavily warned of the dangers. Notice chapter 18 of Leviticus, verse 30. You might just want to listen. God said, so keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you. And never to make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. And he instructed his people who went to possess the land to drive out the Canaanites, to destroy their images, and demolish the high places. Numbers 33, verses 51 and 52. He knew the danger that these sites posed for his people. But after all the warnings and failures and problems caused by the high places, all that, Solomon dabbled in them. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in all the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the people of Israel did the same, as verse 2 shows. Maybe Solomon thought he could do it correctly and not fall prey to the sins that often occurred there. It's likely that Solomon thought he could handle this and it wouldn't happen to him. The crazy part is that this line of thinking only brought more dangers. So look, let's look at some other crazy things. Solomon disobeyed God about marriage. God gave clear, definite instructions about Israel driving out the inhabitants of Canaan and why they were to do this. Listen to Exodus 34, 15 and 16 carefully. You must not make a treaty with any kind of any kind with the people living in the land. 
They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. Did you notice the progression? They will invite you, and you will accept, and they will seduce. And in Deuteronomy 17, 17, God specifically singled out kings. Don't do this, he said. But Solomon did it, and he did it excessively. 700 wives and 300 concubines, blatantly disobeying what God said. Crazy. And more was it were. Solomon became desensitized to sin. His connections with women were not only political arrangements, but these connections had a sensual side also. Notice what the text says, 1 Kings 11, verses 1 and 2. He loved many foreign women, and he clung to these in love. Now, undoubtedly, these alliances involve sensuality. Think about it. Solomon could have a different woman and a perfectly kept woman every day and enjoy the power and notoriety that that would involve as others heard about it. But it also involves something else. It allowed desensitization to, uh, to, to sin to occur. Now, that's a big, intimidating-sounding word. What does it mean? Desensitizing is to become insensitive or non-reactive to something. A soldier may become insensitive to death because it's all around him. He sees it every day. A young girl may become non-reacted to violence because it's common, it's normal for her. That's what she experiences. In Solomon's case, he became insensitive to sin. It was regularly practiced in the women's lives who were all around him, women he loved, women he clung to, women he wanted to please. So over time, he rationalized, and then he justified, then he provided, and then he practiced apparently without hesitation or reservation. He not only used the high places, but notice chapter 11, verse 7, he built them for many of his wives and for himself. He didn't just use, but he built. So Solomon's heart became deluded. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Chapter 11, verse 4. Solomon allowed too many rivals into his heart. The Lord who gave him everything ceased to be a major factor in his life. Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord. And the Lord who appeared to Solomon two times personally warned him directly not to go after the other gods. But chapter 11, verse 10 says, he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Now, earlier in his temple dedication speech, this is what Solomon said, chapter 6, chapter 8, verse 60. He said that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. He said, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as it is this day. But he didn't live by his own rule. He didn't heed his own words. I tell you, a deluded heart is a dangerous thing. 
Because of it, Solomon fell prey to misdirected devotion. He became a king of the world. He became a king like other kings. He became a king for himself. He became a king who forgot God. His heart was no longer fully devoted to the Lord. Think about it. The miraculously blessed heir of David broke the most fundamental commandment, the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. His heart was deluded by his love for foreign women and their gods, and this altered his devotion. The text says that he went after Ashtoreth, and he went after Milcom. These were gods of the Ammonites and the Sidonians. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Here's a great man, a great king, growing old and going crazy. So, what can we learn? How can we grow old and be wise? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I have some answers for us this morning. First, what can older people learn and do? Well, I need to learn that it can happen to me. It's not just Solomon's problem. He had wisdom and wealth galore and a mind to know and means to do, but none of this. None of this, and, and not people ooing and eyeing over him, kept Solomon from evil. The growing old part was inevitable and inescapable, but the going crazy part did not have to happen. In right-minded people, this part is the same as when we were younger. It's a choice. It's a choice. And even with knowledge, experience, and history, we can choose badly. It can happen to any of us, and we need to face that fact. Second, I would say we need to learn that a little here and a little there is not just a little. It can be very dangerous. Compromise here. Bend the rules there. Figure that this little small thing won't matter, but it adds up. It has a cumulative effect. Maybe you've heard the parable about the Arab and the camel on a cold night. The Arab sat in his tent keeping himself warm. The camel gently thrust his nose under the flap, saying, Master, let me put my nose in your tent. It's cold and stormy out here. The Arab agreed, turned over, went to sleep. A little later, the Arab woke up to find that the camel had put his head and neck in the tent. And the camel said, I'll take but a little more room if I put my forelegs in the tent. So the Arab agreed and moved over a little to make room, for the tent was small went back to sleep. Finally, the camel said, may I just come inside? I keep the tent open by standing this way. Yes, yes, said the Arab. Perhaps it will be better for both of us. So the camel crowded in. Again, the Arab, with difficulty in the small space, went to sleep. When he woke up the next time, the Arab was outside in the cold, and the camel had the tent to himself. A little here and a little there has a cumulative effect can get us into a lot of trouble. We need to learn that sensuality is dangerous, it's deceptive, and can be destructive. Men, I'm talking to men, we still, whatever age we are, we need to bounce our eyes when we're older. Feelings and emotions and desires lingering can lead us to do crazy things. We must be careful. And then I would say we must guard our hearts. The wisdom of old is ever needed in our time. 
Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is the key to David's life. He walked before God. And Solomon recognized it. 1 Kings 3, verse 6. David walked before God in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. Solomon knew it, but he didn't do it. We must be vigilant to guard our hearts. Well, what can younger people learn? This is not just a sermon for old people. It may be more valuable for younger people who have time and opportunity to think and prepare. So I would suggest to younger people, look closely and carefully where you are right now and ask the hard question, the searching question. And here it is. Where will I be when I get where I'm now going? Where will I be when I get where I'm now going? In younger years, we have a sense of invincibility that I can handle anything that comes along and it won't happen to me. We'll do much better to look at ourselves clearly and forthrightly. Paul said, I say among you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to have sober judgment. Let me plant this thought in our minds. The way you are now going will become harder and harder to change. Make sure the way you're going is taking you where you want to end up. Ask yourself the question, where will I be when I get where I'm going? Set red flags for yourself and honestly check them regularly. You know how it goes. You got married. You launched a career. You have a house. You started a family. Wonderful. But where are you in your relationship with God? Are you where you need to be and should be? Are you growing in Christ? Are you teaching the lost? Are you practicing hospitality? Set milestones at certain points and press hard to answer them honestly and correctly so you can reach them. And then I would say finally to younger people, listen to older people. Everybody has a story. Older people may not know the latest fads. They might know all the functions that are going on today, but they know some things about life. And you can learn something from them. So listen to older people's stories. So what can we take in and what can we take home with us at whatever age we are? There are a few things that seem to me to be related. At least I think so. They have emerged from my reading of this text about Solomon. Three things I want to mention. Number one, keep thinking and evaluating ourselves. Being old does not give us the license to make ourselves the standard. It's entirely possible that with Solomon, all this people coming around and ooing and eyeing over everything he had, that he stopped evaluating himself against the standard and thought about himself as the standard. Dangerous. Part of it was probably because he was king. Part of it may have been because he was growing older. Older people often don't want to evaluate themselves. They've had enough of that, so they stop evaluating. They grow satisfied with what they're doing. They think they know enough and have experienced enough to be the standard. Age may give us experience, but it doesn't guarantee perfect judgment. We're never above what is right, good and true. That's what should guide us, not what we're doing, but what's right, good and true is set forth by the Word of God. 
So keep thinking and evaluating ourselves. Two, I would say, admit that actions, decisions, and words have consequences. We drill this into our children's minds. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. But that principle is not just for young people. It applies to every person, every time, regardless of your age or status. Listen to Paul in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we must admit and face the hard reality that choices have consequences and we need to make good ones. Third, I would say, what we can take home with us today, be humble. Remember that any of us, any of us can go wrong. Growing old provides experience, but it doesn't guarantee perfect judgment. Older is not necessarily better. And new is not always bad. We serve no good purpose to live in the past and rail about the future. The future will inevitably come, and with it will come some good things. Some things that we've never thought about before. We'll be wise to use them. Consider new ways of doing things that may be better than what we've always done. We must be humble to see this and to act on what we see. So I want to close today by asking us to listen carefully to God's word in the New Testament. It's a short but powerful passage. Older men, Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. I would end by saying, may God help us as we grow old not to go crazy. Well, if we can help you this morning with some spiritual need that you may have, we're ready to do that. Thank you for listening carefully and quietly. I appreciate that. If we can help you with a spiritual need to become God's person or to walk closer and better with him, we want to do that. And we're going to sing this song, Victory in Jesus, because that's where the great things are found, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for us. And we can help you share in that victory. You let us know while we stand and while we sing.